turn to the book of James, uh, to the last chapter, James chapter 5. And we just read the first six verses only. And James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. So James writes here, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Let's just stop there for a moment. Now, this is part six of our study in James, Heaven Sent Wisdom for Down-to-Earth Living. And today the subject is money matters. Money matters. During the past couple of years, almost every major trading nation uh, has been wrapped by recession. The economic woes that have crippled nations have been severe and very traumatic and hardly any of us has escaped the effects of it. Employment, unemployment has rocketed. Currencies have been devalued. In fact, banks are even resorting to just printing banknotes. Great swathes of high street shops, particularly brand name shops, have gone bust. There's hardly a high street in Britain today that's not half empty. People who were nearing retirement age have discovered that they're now going to have to work an extra five years. And of course, uh, pensions and, and things like that has just nosedived, and some of it's hardly worthless, some of it's just a bit worthless. And so much of this was due to the reckless, greedy practices of investment bankers and financial commodity traders who set out, as we say, to make a fast buck, irregardless of whom or whatever livelihood somebody may have, irregardless of who it may hurt or even ruin. And so, in the process, not only did it destroy many businesses, but also there are several top banks and mortgage lending societies has also gone to the wall. And so, bankers who have been the major culprits in all of this, ironically, many of them has done very well, thank you very much, with their big fat bonuses. And of course, uh, Whenever they retire, they have a great big pension pot. And even those who got the sack, uh, we found out later that they got a very handsome severance package. And so not only have they awarded themselves all these uh, tremendous uh, riches and wealth, but it seems like the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Now, this is not just a 21st century problem it was also a first century problem. James in chapter 5 of his letter, he gives a blistering denunciation of the fat cats of his day. And thundering like an Old Testament prophet, he lambasts all who were wealthy, who abused their wealth. 
in order to get rich on the backs of the poor and their employers, employees. Now, James was not alone in this assessment. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see prophets like Hosea and Micah and Amos and Joel and Habakkuk. All of them denounced the rich, not because they were rich, but because they misused and they abused the riches and they trusted the riches more than they trusted God. And so the message and the warning is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Do not trust in uncertain riches. It's a clear teaching of Scripture. Now James here in this particular passage is encouraging those believers, Jewish Christians who were scattered abroad, who by and large were very, very poor, and they were being taken advantage of, uh, and being used and abused by rich, wealthy bosses or landlords or whoever it may be. And uh, what James is saying here is, don't worry about it. Judgment is coming. It's coming. God will bring justice, even though it may be slow to come, but you can be sure it will come. And so in James chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Come now, you rich. Come now means listen up. Pay attention, take heed, listen to what I'm about to say. Rich here is made up of two words, plotos, which means wealth, and kratia, which is rule. So in other words, it seems like in this world that it's the rich who rule over the poor, and by and large, that is the truth, is it not? However, money is neutral. There's nothing inherently wrong with riches in and of themselves. In fact, it's what's done with it. That's what determines whether it's going to be a blessing or a curse, and curse to the individual or not. The Bible, neither in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, sees anything wrong with riches as long as they are used for God's glory and for man's good. If they're used for God's glory and man's good, then there's nothing wrong with them. Now, of course, the Apostle Paul, knowing the misuse of riches as well as James, has something to say about it. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, he sets out and he talks about those particular things. You don't need to turn to that. You can turn to it later because we have a number of scriptures, but you can mark it down. And if you read 1 Timothy chapter 6, you'll see that Timothy particularly is talking to a pastor and uh, he's giving warning even about riches and money, and possessions. And basically what he's saying is, don't allow this to get in on you. Don't let it get a grip in your life. Don't let it control your life. Use it certainly, but don't abuse it, and don't let it abuse you and get in into your heart. Both Solomon and Abraham were very, very wealthy men of God. And both were made rich by God. Abraham attributed his riches to God, and we know that reading the Scriptures, it was God who made Solomon rich. He asked for wisdom, and because he asked for wisdom, God gave him wisdom. Because he didn't ask for riches, God gave him riches on top of that. But if you read the Scriptures, you'll find that Abraham was very wise, and he was humble with his riches. But Solomon became very greedy and full of pride regarding his immense wealth, and he overtaxed the people and caused great pain within Israel 
because of his taxation. And so people can use it or they can abuse it, and they can use it for God's glory, they can abuse it. Think of the despots in history, those who lived in opulence while their uh, fellow countrymen were starving. I was just reading recently in December 1989 in Romania, a place where Billy is very familiar with, I'm sure he's driven past it, and uh, how that uh, Nicolae Ceausescu and his wife Ilana, who were dictators, communist dictators for years, uh, and they built this massive, massive uh, big palace that was supposed to be the parliament of the people. And of course, there was very luxurious quarters for them to live in. And I mean, this was absolutely massive. There was over three and a half million square feet of floor space. There were several, 12 floors high and several floors deep. Uh, there was over 500 chandeliers. There was millions of cubic meters of, of marble. This was the unbelievably last word and opulence and luxury. Uh, and when he built this, he, he raised over 30,000 people's homes to the ground. Sometimes they got 48 hours to get out. And there was churches and synagogues and, and all were destroyed in order to build this massive monstrosity. They said that the lights in one room uh, would, have, would, have, would have lit up 340 village homes. And of course, the villagers didn't have any light and they didn't have any heat because Ceausescu was robbing them blind in order to build this big folly that's still there to this day. Of course, 1989, uh, the people had enough of it and they rebelled. And you saw it in television. Some of you, I'm sure, that are that age and, and how that their, their own army actually shot them to death. And that was the end of them. You think of Robert Mugabe in, in Zimbabwe, whose wife in a private plane flies over regularly uh, to London, to Harrods for shopping while his people are living in squalor and starving. You think of the North Korean uh, communist despots who's living in the lap of luxury while their people are actually, some of them are eating grass and the bark of the trees. Can you imagine that? I was thinking about Colonel Gaddafi of Libya. Do you know the population of Libya is roughly the population of Ireland? It's a massive country, but a small population. Do you know that it has got the 10th largest oil reserves in the world? And it said that some of their oil is so sweet, it's the most expensive, it's the most purest oil in all of Arab uh, nations. And yet in spite of all of that, he could have made every single member of his country, every citizen of his country, a millionaire overnight, and it wouldn't even have dented the oil reserves, the money that comes in from it. But instead, they too lived in the lap of luxury while people were suffering. So they too rose up. And so we see this around the world today. And James says in chapter 5, verse 1, Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Perhaps James here was echoing the words, and you get, he does echo the words of his brother Jesus uh, throughout his uh, little book here. And so maybe he's echoing these words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6. Let's see what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6.
Verse 20, he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and says, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when men, all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And so Jesus was not beyond denouncing those who were abusing their wealth for position and for fame and for fortune and against uh, the poor. And so James says, Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Now let me just say something before we go any further. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having savings. If you're fortunate enough to have any savings. There's nothing wrong with having savings. There's nothing wrong with putting something past for your children. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong even putting something past for your old age. In fact, many people didn't have any pensions because they thought, well, what's the point? Because the government just takes it off you anyway, which they basically have done. And now they're requiring that every employee is going to have to have a pension and every employer is going to have to pay into that as well as the employee. And we're going to have to do it by law. And then maybe in 10 years' time, they'll take that off us too. But that's the unfortunate situation we're in right now economically. And so there's nothing wrong with having any of those things. Even 2 Corinthians 12, 14, Paul says, For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. 1 Timothy 5 and 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith, is worse than an unbeliever. However, these rich that James is talking about, that he's denouncing, that even Jesus denounced, they were hoarders. They weren't savers. They were hoarders. They were amassing lots of riches and clothing and gold. And they defrauded others, especially workers, so that they could do that. That's why James is denouncing them. Not because they had some savings. Not because they put a little bit past. The Bible encourages us to be wise and do those things. But because they were hoarders. And worst of all, James says they were doing it in the last days. Now, if James believed, and he did believe, as all the apostles and disciples did, that they were actually living in the last days then, how much more are we living in the last days now? How much closer is it to the return of Christ that we live in, in this generation? It's very, very, very close. And if James was angry at the fact that they were hoarding up in days that he believed were the last days, how much more would he be angry today with those who are hoarding? 
But now he said, their riches are rotted. Their clothes are moth-eaten and their silver and their gold is cankered. Now it's interesting here that James predicts a time when gold and silver will corrode. Now I don't believe he was speaking literally there, but figuratively, metaphorically. He was speaking about the gold and silver corroding. In other words, there would come a time when it would be devalued. There would come a time whenever it would drop greatly in value. Now, that's not at the moment. Because right now, people are investing heavily in precious metals. Gold and silver is way, way up there in price. That's why all those adverts on TV is your cash for gold, cash for gold, and send your gold and we'll give you cash. And the reason for that is because it's such a premium at the moment. But James is prophesying and he's predicting that there's going to come a time when that will crash, when precious metals will not be the same value as they are then and today, even as it is at this present moment. Governments are hoarding vast stocks of gold and they used to store more silver than they do today, but there will come a time when it will collapse, it will corrode, it will be eaten away as it were. People scared of paper money today, so they're investing in gold and silver as an investment. But what happens when that goes? And that's why James says not to be hoarding. And so it will be a witness, he said, against the rich who abuse their wealth and take advantage against the poor. Chapter 5, verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who have mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That's what that word means. So not only were these rich men guilty of hoarding the riches, but they were guilty in how they acquired the riches. Again, the Bible sees nothing wrong with hard work and endeavor. If you work hard and you get rewarded for that, that's wonderful. If you work hard and you get a business and it prospers, wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible even encourages that. But these people were becoming rich by defrauding the laborers. Now you see, most labor in those days was casual labor. And particularly at harvest times when a lot of casual labor was needed more than other times. And so people would would work for a day or even a few hours or a week or whatever. But they'd have to turn up to work every day. And according to the Old Testament laws, they were to be paid by the day. So if they worked a day, they got a day's pay. If they worked the next day, they got another day's pay. Not like today where you're maybe paid weekly or monthly. And the reason was very, very simple is because they had to get paid that day to get food to live that day, to feed their families that day. They couldn't afford to wait two or three days. They had to get it that day. Their heart was set on it, James says. Uh, And these rich people were defrauding them. Not only were they holding back, but actually they weren't paying them. And God gets very, very angry at things like that. So they were deliberately withholding their wages. And that was a very fraudulent thing to do. It was against the whole 
Old Testament teaching that God had for the poor. God has lots and lots of laws in the Old Testament to safeguard the poor in the land. Listen to what he says in Leviticus 19.13. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until the morning. And then Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 and 15. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy. Neither one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. One of the aliens. Migrant workers. That's another term for it. Migrant workers. Ferns has given Josh the thumbs up there. Good man. <laughs> I caught you on there. <laughs> but there is right there in the Bible. <laughs> that they were to take care even the foreign workers who would come in from other lands who would work make sure they're treated right and correctly and paid properly each day you shall give him his wages and let not the sun go down upon it for he is poor and has set his heart on it lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be a sin to you <coughs> Jeremiah twenty-two thirteen. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's services without wages and gives him nothing for his work. Hmm. Johnny Brady, you've been ripped off a few times, haven't you, on your business? Johnny Fitz Kitchens. But not everybody paid him. Some shortchanged him. Some didn't pay him at all. Maybe you've been ripped off as a worker or as an employer or as an employee. God has got scripture in the Bible for that. It makes God angry. First Timothy 5.18 says, The laborer is worthy of his hire. So honest dealings is required. And then in chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, he says, You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. Now, this is speaking of luxurious indulgence with no thought of others. doesn't mean you can't have a nice home or drive a nice car, wear a nice suit or buy nice clothes. But it's indulging in luxurious living to the detriment of other people, using that pleasure and wealth, pleasures of the flesh, no thought of spiritual things, no desire to further God's kingdom. That's what God's against. Not that you're blessed. Not that you even have a lot. But it's what you do with what you have. And look chapter 12. Verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge and an arbiter over you? He said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things 
he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have had many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's the thing that angers God. Not that this man had riches, but that he stored it up for himself. Did you notice so many times this I and my over and over and over again? No thought of others whatsoever. Somebody said this man made three mistakes. He mistook his bank book for his Bible. He mistook his body for his soul. And he mistook time for eternity. Three tragic mistakes he made. In Luke chapter 16, well-known story here in verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And so here was a very, very wealthy rich man who every single day ignored the beggar at his gate. The man was just wanting crumbs and he didn't get them. Even the dogs had more pity on the beggar than the rich man. And Jesus has given extreme examples here to show what was ha going to happen, how he would be judged. In Mark chapter 10, Verse 17, now as he was going out onto the, onto the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. 
You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And his great possessions had him. And therein lay his problem. One thing you lack. You've got everything your hearts desire. But there's one thing you lack. Generosity. Compassion. Willingness to give. He was a hoarder. And even though Jesus loved him, he put his finger on the one area of his life that was failing him. And he says he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Wasn't willing to part with them. I wonder if he had said, Lord, I'll do that immediately. I wonder would Jesus stopped and said, I was just testing you. Sure, you can give some away, but you don't need to give it all away. I was just testing you. We'll never know that answer, will we? Because he went away sorrowful. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those to have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Of course, if you were prospered, particularly in the Old Testament, it was a sign of God's blessing on you. So they were astonished. And Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, someone who trusts in the riches, that is, to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is not one who has left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first. And so we see that the Lord himself had much to say on the subject. And so the victims cried out for justice, for fairness, for the Lord to plead their cause. And the Lord will plead their cause. <coughs> Chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. You've lived on earth in pleasure and in luxury. Verse 5. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. <coughs> a farmer fattens his beast for the day of slaughter. 
It's out in the field. It can eat all the grass. It can eat all day long, every day. That's all it does. Eat, 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 eat. Must be a boring life for a bullock out in the field. All it does is eat grass all day long, every day. But it loves it. It enjoys it. It's in his element. There's nothing else it would rather do than just eat grass all day long. But what it doesn't know is it's getting fattened for the slaughter. It wouldn't be as happy if it knew that. Sure it wouldn't. And James uses this as an illustration. Wicked rich who use their riches and their wealth and their position and their fortune in order to take advantage of the poor. He said they don't realize they're being fattened for the day of slaughter. They just eat, 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 eat. They just take everything they get. And they get everything they can and they can everything they get. But he says they're doing it for the day of slaughter. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, let me just read a little bit here about what Solomon says. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. Let's just read from verse 4. Now, Solomon, who wrote the most of the book of Proverbs and who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, is looking at life from two different angles. The book of Proverbs, he's looking at life from a godly viewpoint. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's an older man. He's cynical. He's not the spiritual man he was who wrote the book of Proverbs. He's in a very low spiritual state and he's looking at everything through the eyes of a man who's out of touch with God. Actually out of touch with God. But here's what he says in verse 4, Ecclesiastes 2. I have made my works great. I have built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I have planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I have made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants, and I've had servants born in my house. Yes, I have greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I have also gathered from myself silver and gold, and the special treasures of kings of the provinces. Remember when the queen of Sheba came to visit him? And she came with laden with the gold to offer to give him as a present. But when she saw his house and she saw the temple, it says it took her breath away. There was no more breath left in her. She had never seen anything like this, ever. Fabulous wealth. And so he said, I gathered myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Well, if we know that, he had a thousand women at his back and call wives and concubines. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor 
and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked and all the works that my hands had done and all the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed it was all vanity and grasping for the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Here is a man who had everything possible to make him happy and content. And at the end of it, when he accumulated it all and looked at it all, he says, it's left me empty. It's all vanity. It's like trying to gather the wind. And many, many, a fabulously wealthy man or woman has found the same thing. That when they accumulated it all and they looked at it, they thought it would make them really, really happy. Instead, it became a curse to them. Chapter 5, verse 6, you have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Now, James, in this scathing denunciation of the rich who abuse their wealth to rob the poor, even speaks of the lengths that some will go to to hold on to their power and their riches. And again, we have seen that in the lives of the great dictators in order to keep their palaces, in order to keep their fabulous wealth, they'll kill if necessary. And they don't mind how many is killed as long as they can take their positions. We see before the courts, we see those who can afford the smartest lawyers very often are the ones who'll get away. How many times have we seen the rich get away in court? Selvio, as they call him, Bellascuri, the Italian prime minister, has now been sentenced to jail. Whether some papers say four years, some say one year, all of them say the chances are that he'll never spend a day in jail. This is the one over 100 cases, 100 court cases he's had. And over 100 times he's been acquitted. He's a multi-billionaire. He has bought judges. <laughs> he has bought policemen. But this time, this time, it seems like, at this moment, they finally, finally, finally got somebody to sentence him for tax evasion. Will he go to jail? Very doubtful. These people know people. These people can make their money talk for them. And he has done that for many, many, many years. And so we have seen that. We've seen judges bribed and juries got at. We see in the Jimmy Savile case at the moment, uh, used to, the late Jimmy Savile used to be Britain's most famous DJ and entertainer. And how that for decades he was abusing young girls and boys too. Horrendous stories are coming out today. And what we do know is that for years and years he abused his position his wealth, his fame, his notoriety, and the TV wouldn't touch him because the ratings were up. Well, there's nothing can be done on earth for him now. They're not going to dig him up and put him in jail, that's for sure. But he's going to stand before the bar of God one day. And the judge of all the earth will judge him. And there'll be no escape from that. Amos 5 and 12, For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice 
at the gate. <clears throat> and so James here is having a real go at the wicked rich. Particularly those who've been abusing the poor and especially the Christian poor because that's who he's writing to. Money can be a tremendous blessing if it's handled correctly. It can be greatly used for God's kingdom if it's in the right hands. And you and I are stewards of all that we possess. We don't own it. We're stewards of it. God has lent it to us for a purpose. Yes, to bless us. Yes, to bless our family. But to reach a world out there. Let me just say this while we're talking about this. Once in a while I raise this subject. But because I'm a pastor and because over the many, many years I've been pastoring, I've seen it happen all too often. How many of you have written a will? Don't put up your hand. How many of you have written a will? If you don't write your will, when you die, you're going to leave your family a massive headache because any asset you have, the government will take. Write a will. You say, I don't want to write a will because that almost sounds scary. Write a will. You can change it up to the day you die, by the way. But write a will. A will. And how many of you who has written a will as believers have thought of the kingdom of God in that will? God blesses us for a reason. And we want the work of the kingdom to go on in our absence. We want our families to be blessed in our absence, but we want the work of the kingdom to go on. And so it can be a tremendous blessing Timothy writes in 1 Timothy 6, 17, 18. Listen to this. We're closing in a moment. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. God's not against what you've got. Now, there's no millionaires in here. But if you were a millionaire, God is not against you being a millionaire. As long as you use it for His glory for man's good. So he says, He gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Jesus talked about money matters because money matters. It matters to you. It matters to the kingdom of God. It matters to missionaries. It matters to evangelism. It matters to every single human being on earth. So Jesus talked a lot about it. Do you realize that one-sixth of the Gospels, one-third of the parables, and one-quarter of the Sermon on the Mount was about finances and material possessions? Jesus taught more about that than he did about heaven and hell. Why? Because it affects us. It affects us physically, it affects us emotionally, it most certainly affects us spiritually. So Jesus had much to say. There are over 700
hundred direct references in the Bible to material possessions and finances. Over 700 references. Did you know that God associates your ability to handle money and possessions with your ability to handle spiritual things? Did you know that? Let me read this scripture. Luke 16, verses 10 to 13. Here's what Jesus said. He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in that which is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon. The mammon is its possessions, its goods, its money, its material things. If you have not been faithful in that, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot do it. It's either one or the other. And so Jesus said our attitude, how we handle material possessions, whatever they may be, will indicate how spiritual we are as believers. That's amazing, isn't it? But then it shouldn't be. Sure it shouldn't. Because it affects us all. And it touches all of our lives, doesn't it? Luke 12, 15. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist and the abundance of things he possesses. Luke 12, 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so whatever God blesses you with, however God blesses you, thank him for it. Enjoy that blessing. But make sure, make sure that he comes first. Make sure that in all of your blessings, all your material blessings, that he comes first. Because one day we're going to be parted from it, aren't we? So we don't want it to get in on our hearts. Sure we don't. We don't want to get such a grip on us that the rich young ruler that we can't get rid of it. Because one day we're going to part from it. So meantime, we say, Lord, thank you for the blessing. And I want to bless others as you have blessed me. And as you do that, and listen, I've known many of you for many, many years and I know your hearts, and I know your givers. And God blesses givers. He really, really does. There once was a man, they thought him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. <laughs> Glory to God. Just be a blessing. God gives you a blessing to be a blessing. So be a blessing wherever you go with it.